The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Glad you can join me again today as we talk about when God delays in responding. When God is slow to respond to your prayers, when God seems silent to your cry, when it sometimes feels as though God does not hear or see your circumstances, and your life is overshadowed with a a silence, your heart's longings are not met, not experienced. And so many believers have found themselves trapped by circumstances from which they find it impossible to extricate themselves. Many have searched the scriptures, prayed, fasted, enlisted the prayers of others, and sometimes sought ingenious ways to to change the matters, to change the circumstances, only to encounter failure. When God delays in responding, many say to themselves, God is silent. God is silent to my circumstances. And with that sentiment, they give up and resign themselves to the status quo. My dear friend, I want to remind you again that Beside Still Waters is devoted to helping Christians across all denominations to foster a genuine, life-changing walk with God. And for our topic today, especially in trying circumstances. These circumstances don't have to be a blockage to receiving answers to our petitions, mind you. You know, our commitment on this podcast is to help believers in all walks of life to find how to live one's life with a daily consciousness that I am in the will of God. I'm holding the hand of God throughout the vicissitudes of life. And so to add some context to what we're going to be talking about, we are in Matthew 15 and uh, the 21st to about the 28th verse when uh, Jesus met a Canaanite woman from the uh, region of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, Tyre and Sidon are port cities located in what's known as modern-day Lebanon uh, on the uh, Mediterranean coast. And in the Old Testament, uh, there are several mentions of Israel's dealings with these cities. Uh, For example, uh, Israel's failure to conquer Sidon in the conquest of Canaan, and you would find that in uh, Judges chapter 1 and verse 31. And there were also problematic circumstances when the Israelites... Uh, involved themselves in the worship of the Sidonian gods on several occasions. And you'll find that in Judges uh, chapter 10, 
uh, at around the 6th to 16th verse and 1 Kings 11. Uh, on a somewhat negative note, <laughs> uh, Queen Jezebel was, uh, was a Sidonian, and that's in 1 Kings 16.31. And uh, um, uh, a miraculous deliverance was experienced by one of the prophets, Prophet uh, Elijah, when he was sent to a Sidonian city, uh, Zarephath, where a widow took care of him, providing uh, oil and flour for her. Uh, of course, she made a meal for him, but uh, miraculously, by the uh, word of Jehovah, uh, her oil and flour did not cease throughout the entire famine. Uh, she was about to make her final meal for herself and her child and die. And her deliverance was um, brought to pass by the prophet Elijah in obedience to the word of Jehovah. And that's in 1 Kings chapter 17. So at this point is where we are in the ministry of our Lord Jesus, that uh, there was a tense encounter uh, with this woman. And uh, many have suggested that the Lord Jesus really dealt with the, the, the uh, encounter insensitively. Now, Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities north of Israel. Uh, and as you might know already, Jesus had been you know, sent to the, the house of Israel. Uh, and this was clearly stated in his conversation uh, or his encounter with her. Uh, and Jesus ministered to crowds uh, from the Tyre and Sidon region because they came to see and listen to him. And we find that in Mark chapter 3. So Israelites in Jesus' day referred to uh, these, what are considered half-breeds, Jew-Gentiles, uh, as dogs. Uh, Non-Jews were considered uh, at times so unspiritual that even being in their presence could make a person, uh, an Israelite, ceremonially unclean. And, of course, John 18 and 28 um, is uh, a good reference for that. However, we see that the Lord Jesus frequently challenged the prejudices of his day. And this circumstance was certainly one of them. Uh, and the lesson for us, the learning, the gem, is the fact that God is earnestly willing to respond to the desires of our hearts, the needs in our lives, our desire to connect, to know him, if we are connected to him by faith in his sacrificial work at Calvary. If that's the case, that you are trusting the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then you have before you the opportunity to touch the hand of God, as it were, to see the fingerprint of God in your life. And, and this certainly was one of those situations. And I, as I mentioned, Jesus frequently tested people to prove their intentions. And uh, sometimes he did this through a response or he may ask questions, or he may just outright challenge the hearer. Uh, and John 4 was a, a, a typical example of this. Uh, and again, you know, there are quite a few references. I'm just giving them to you that you can go back and, and, and uh, search the scriptures for yourself. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, uh, uh, his response to this woman, uh, this Canaanite woman, um, and again, we are in Matthew chapter 15, but his uh, response to this uh, Canaanite woman uh, was illustrative of the approach that he sometimes uses with people to draw them out to him. 
draw them out. And this encounter is a microcosm of a larger picture about the ways of God. This is very important. A lot of people will conclude that Jesus used racial slurs to denigrate this woman. Others might suggest that his ministry was not a uh, quote-unquote loving ministry because he didn't center his ministry to Jew and Gentile alike. No, he was very specific. came first to the house of Israel. But their encounters with Gentile people that, that clearly uh, illustrate his love for all men, and, and this was just a very unique situation. And we'll just take a few minutes to uh, examine it uh, in our conversation today. So the event unfolded this way as Jesus went into the parts of uh, Tyre and Sidon. And we, we're not told whether this woman knew that it would be passing through, nor that whether he was a frequent passerby through this region. All we know is Jesus was in the area of her residence or, you know, perhaps the suburbs of Tyre and Sidon. And what we are told is that she came out from the borders. So perhaps, as I said, it might have been the suburbs. And This is where this encounter unfolds. We are told, firstly, that she cried out, beseeching the Lord to have pity on her. So in other words... She's asking the Lord Jesus to look on her affliction. Having told him that her daughter was oppressed by a demon. And here she is calling out to the Son of God for aid, for help. And although unworthy because she knows herself to be uh, a Gentile, as it were. And unworthy, she asks him to take note of her affliction. And I want to say that many of us are right there. We have often gone to the Lord and asked him to look on the circumstances that we are currently wrestling with and beseeched him to intervene, to change it, to heal it, to resolve it to extricate us. And we have laid before the living God our extremity, acknowledging that we are unworthy and we have no option other than turning to him and asking for mercy. And I ask you, is this your plight? Is this your circumstance, as you hear my voice today, that there is some challenge in your life that has compelled you to cry out to God for mercy, for pity, for his intervention. And, and we'll see that there's, there's great grace available to every one of us. And this Gentile woman also ascribed to him a title that she had no legal right to apply. And that is, she called him the son of David. Now, she was not a Jew. But as we often do, she's pulling out all the stops, whatever it takes to convince, to move the Lord Jesus in her direction. She knew he was the one that would sit on David's throne, David's greater son. She identified him as the Messiah. But she had no right to leverage this title. And we will learn later in the encounter that he said to her, 
that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel's house. She was not a part of David's house or the household of Israel and therefore had no right to lay claim to this title. But she is doing what we have done in our prayer life. We ascribed to God attributes that he is worthy of and that accurately describes him. However, We're doing so from the vantage point, having concluded in our hearts that if we present the right words before God, this presentation, this ascription of attributes, telling him who he is, we sort of think in our hearts and minds that this is going to induce God to be responsive and amenable to our plight. And alas, only to find that the heavens still seem to be silent. You know, it's it's like when a friend comes and showers you with flattery, although it might be true. But your first thought is, well, why are you flattering me? What do you want from me? (laughs) Well, that's sort of the thinking. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is what she did, but she certainly ascribed to him the correct title of son of David, but she had no legal right because she was not a Jew. She was not an Israelite. This woman pressed her case even more by outlining for the son of God the extremity of her circumstance, that her daughter is miserably possessed by a demon, and we can't imagine what her life must be at home. We're not told whether she has a husband or not, whether it was a single, you know, if she was a single parent home, but the scripture is clear. She told him of her misery, of the plight of her daughter, And the 23rd verse tells us he answered her not a word. He never even responded. And this is perhaps the first and most discouraging experience for any believer to be earnestly seeking the face of God for a circumstance for days, weeks, or months. And there appears to be no change. No word from heaven. That is, when God seems silent or unmoved by our circumstances, it can discourage us. Perhaps we're praying for someone to change for a character, a matter at work, and it seems to worsen. And with each increase, or the the increase of its worsening, (laughs) we conclude that God isn't hearing. Now, we don't want to say it outright to anyone, but the thought of our heart is, why doesn't God change my circumstance? And so often believers are discouraged after having long pleaded with God, used words that accurately describe him and ascribe to him appropriate attributes. And we've explained to God the extremity of our circumstance. We've laid out before him as though, we, as though he were blind to the details. We laid it out in such a manner that he was made aware of our suffering. And so many of us, after staying long in this circumstance, unchanging, we become discouraged and we cease 
to pray. And my dear friend, stay with me. My fellow believer, there is hope. There's a door through which we all pass through. But it is not that of importunity in prayer. And importunity, that staying with it, that praying, like that woman and dealing with the unjust judge, she wore him down because she would not relent. She wouldn't give up. This circumstance with this woman is not that. That's not the lesson for us. There is a simpler, here's the, here's the key. There is a simpler and more direct route to the heart of God, my friend. Importunity in prayer is necessary. But this element that we are going to wrestle with in our conversation today is mission critical key. How often have we met in the moment of crisis, turned our eyes and our hearts away from God because we are met with silence or he was long in coming to our aid, showing no proof, no evidence that we've been heard. And it seems as though there's no answer from the throne of God. And unfortunately, we wrongly assume that God is either not interested or busy elsewhere, or we have been rendered unworthy of a response, perhaps because of unconfessed sin. We search our hearts and ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? And so this woman continued in her cries, so much so that the disciples even asked him, dismiss her. Just dismiss her outright. And if I may ask you, my dear beloved believer, would it seem unreasonable to think that maybe God is delaying the answer that he might abundantly give to you not only what you've asked for, but even what you have not asked for? Let me present it to you this way. If you knew beforehand that you will have learned something so uh, unique, so special about the grace and mercy of God, some treasure about the way he moves in your life, some jewel of insight and grace that he wants to bestow on you when he reveals himself in a deeper, more real way. If you knew all of this would be given with the delay, would it not have been worth it? And so this woman would not be dismissed. She persisted in her pursuit of God. She persisted because the things she desired of him could not come from any other source. She persisted because she knew that his ears were open to her cry as he promised in Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. And here it is. Call upon me. This is Jehovah. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And here's the assurance. Here's the gem. Here's the promise. I will deliver you. 
and you shall glorify me. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So I ask you, are you convinced, my beloved, that God wants you to call upon him in the day of your trouble? And it's to you that he gives the assurance based on the unchanging character and nature of the Most High God, he will deliver you. Therefore, I want you to embrace the delay not as evidence of his unwillingness, but as evidence of the fact that he has heard and his time is not yet perfect to grant you what you have asked for. But he would add to it what you did not even expect. For many of the saints of the Old Testament and the New, they understood that their day of trouble was not just a day. It may have been days or even weeks. It may have been a time of potential peril like King Hezekiah waiting for the Assyrians to break through their walls. The day of trouble might seem long and it may seem as though God does not hear or care, but he does. And I assure you, he waits until we come to him with hearts that are single towards him. That is, God sometimes delays so that our hearts look to him and him alone to be the deliverer. He wants, he waits until our hearts, our faith are perfectly aligned with his will and his mind in the moment. Like the hands of a clock striking 12 midday or 12 midnight, it is perfect in straight alignment. And so with our faith, perfect resting in nothing and no one but the living God himself to the exclusion of all others. And at that point and at that second and at that moment, God will respond. The answer is on its way. Another scenario that may prevent the believer from coming into the presence of God and, and laying claim to the answer, the blessing of an answered petition, is this question. Do I have the right or the authority to even ask what I'm asking God for? You know, this woman, against all odds, continued in her petition only to be rebuffed with, I have not been sent, saved to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was the Lord Jesus' answer as she, as she continued to cry out to him as they, I guess, were still moving along in their journey. And she was following them, pleading with him. First, he was silent. And then he told her, you know, I, I was sent to the law sheep of the house of Israel. And this woman continued in her petition only to be faced with this rebuff. And she may have thought to herself, perhaps, that this is, in fact, the truth that she's a Gentile compared to other Gentiles. She was considered a half-breed. And those of the, the area of Tyre and Sidon were considered to be dogs, 
remnants of what the Assyrians had done uh, years before, hundreds of years before, in bringing other people groups into the land and mixing them with the Israelites that were part of the northern kingdom. And, and now here we are, several centuries later, having a, a people that were a mixture of, of Jew and something else. And so when she was rebuffed with this statement that she had no legal right to ask the Lord Jesus to release her daughter from the grasp of this demon, she responded with, I love this, worship. She did him homage. She worshipped him. You know, in, in that culture, in that day, a potentate would, would extend their hand, palm facing downwards. And the person, the petitioner, or the one doing homage, would sometimes get on, on, the, on one knee and grasp the hand gently and kiss the top side of the person's hand. And this often happened when someone met you know, a, a person of nobility. They would extend the hand, the petitioner would just grasp the hand, kiss the back of the hand, evidencing reverence. And in some cultures in the East, they would literally fall on their knees with their head to the ground their forehead, that is, as an expression of profound reverence. Now, we're not told what she did, but she worshipped him. She did him homage. So what we do know is she responded with abject reverence and added her petition behind her humility. I mean, she is coming and she's, you know, as we would say, she's pulling out all the stops. She's using the right terminology. She's appealing to his mercy. She's calling him the son of David. She's worshiping him. She's letting him know of her circumstance. And I ask you, when the circumstance and the voices of others shout to your heart and conscience that you're not worthy, you're poverty-stricken in your spirit, you have no right to be bold with God. And many of us, Fail to be bold in our asking, in our praying, in our petitioning. My friend, it's at this point that I want to share with you this promise that the Spirit of God gives us by the writer to the letter to the Hebrew Christians. He says, but now once in the consummation of the ages, he, that is the Lord Jesus, has been manifested for the putting away of sin by his sacrifice. You and I have every right and privilege, the authority to come into the holy presence of God, not because we are worthy of ourselves, but our sins have been put away, annulled, removed, paid for. We have been washed by his precious blood, and therefore we have the privilege, the right, the authority to come boldly into the presence of God without any doubt that God would hear us, not because of ourselves, but because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Our sins put away by his sacrifice grants us the privilege and affords us the opportunity boldly to come into God's presence with the full assurance of faith. He will hear us. And so our Lord Jesus by his sacrifice, removed the one thing that would ever become a, a hindrance, a blockage, blockage, a preventative. And so the lowliest sinner saved by grace has access into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. That is, 
your right and privilege. And like this woman, you can continue in the presence of God because that door, that way has been made clear. The door has been opened. Therefore, there is nothing, nothing, I repeat, nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we have been affirmatively told this in Romans chapter 8. Nothing shall separate us. Nothing. Nothing above in heaven, beneath the earth, on the earth. We are beloved of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are told also in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30, that of God are we in Christ. The work of God has placed us in Christ, in the beloved, who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, all that the soul needs, the repentant sinner needs, Christ has become by God's grace to us. The scriptures even go on with greater assurances by the Spirit of God. And I want to encourage you, my friend, to come boldly in the presence of God and to offer to him what is his rightful due, the worship, loving adoration of our hearts, affirming to him that we belong to him. And there in his presence, tell him again of our petition. He will certainly grant it, for we are given the assurance in the scriptures that if we know he hears us, we have the petitions we asked of him. First John 5, 14 and 15. And here's what it says. I think this is just so sweet. And this is the boldness which we have towards him. Boldness, mind you. Absolute confidence. This is the boldness which we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if you know that the thing you are asking of God is his will... You can be confident beyond the shadow of a doubt. I am heard. And the writer John goes on to say, and we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and here it is. Here's the assurance. Here's the absolute guarantee. If we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we asked of him. My friends, it's not just importunity in prayer. There's a confidence that faith gives as we rest upon the promises of God. Peter could write in his second letter to the uh, Christians scattered uh, uh, throughout Asia Minor. He says, unto us are given great and precious promises, rare promises, that by these promises you might be partakers of his divine nature, given the privilege of walking with God. Why? Because he's given us great and rare promises. This is one of them. I'm asking according to his will. I know if it is his will, he hears me. And if he hears me, I have the petitions I ask for. I can praise him and thank him for it before I even see it. And we see that in Mark 11. And so this dear woman continued her vigil before the Son of God in spite of his long delay in granting it. And in spite of his response... In spite of the insult, she was not rebuffed. She was not turned away. And he even told her that the good he would do for her was for someone else. 
He essentially said, you're not worthy because you're not part of the family. But her response, I thought, was priceless. You know, he said to her, <laughs> he told her, frankly, it is not well to take the bread of children and cast it to the dogs. Why should I give the children's bread to dogs? Oh, some would be insulted. I would never follow Jesus. That was rude. But my friends, her response evidenced faith. Her response evidenced strong faith. She took her position as the dog and reminded the Son of God that even the dog is part of the household which eats the same food which falls from the master's table. They find their sustenance in the same household. The dog is part of the house. <laughs> and I want you to listen to the words of the Spirit of God through the writer to the Hebrews again. In chapter 10, verse 10, he says, As concerning the word of God and this this." This new covenant we've entered into through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, by this will, that is the will to establish a new covenant, a second covenant. By this will, we have been sanctified. You and I, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We've been sanctified. We've been made fit, ready, appropriate in the presence of God, not because of what we've done, but through the body, the offering of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. We've been made fit for fellowship with God. Our prayers will be answered. And as we pray in the will of God, it is guaranteed. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in going to Calvary and bearing our sins there, our crimes against God, as well as crucifying us with himself. We find this in Romans 6, Galatians 2.20. This, this, this act, this sacrifice has placed us before God as the children of God sanctified by his holy sacrifice. We've been brought near to the very presence of God just as Jesus, the Son of God, is. Just as he is in the presence of God, we can be no nearer. And thus, when we offer our petitions, we offer it as those who have been washed, whose records of crimes against God have been expunged, being no longer in Adam, but in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And now our Lord Jesus stands in the very presence of God for us, and we in him. Amazing truth. Amazing blessing. We are placed near to the heart of God that he gladly bends his ears to our petitions and in his perfect time he will, he always will. He grants it willingly for the glory of his Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the Lord Jesus says to this woman after she gave this very insightful, terse response regarding her unworthiness. He says, oh, woman, in verse 28, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Be it to you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. It is faith, my friends. Oh, child of God, as we draw near to God in his presence beside still waters, it is your faith that anchors you in the beloved. It is your faith that anchors you inside the veil. It is your faith that laughs in the face of rebuff of the circumstances, of the delays of God, of the silence of God, and every other seeming obstacle that would prevent you, prevent your prayers from reaching the heart, the ears of God. It is your faith and faith alone that lays hold on the promise of God. And through the vicissitudes of life, through the storms that are raging, the heart is calm and fixed on the promise of God. It is faith and faith alone that lays hold on the promise and is not deterred by the intensity of the circumstance, but holds on to the very fact that God is faithful and it is impossible for him to lie. Therefore, I say, my beloved fellow believer, Stand fast. As we are encouraged in Mark 11, verse 24, and all things whatsoever you pray for and ask, believe that you receive it, and it shall come to pass for you. May it be so in our lives for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.